Welcome to KX Emerging Research. We're focusing on research that's happening right now. It's science so fresh, you haven't even heard about it yet. I'm Stacey Cochran. And I'm Kim Winslow from the Knowledge Exchange. Today, we're doing something a little different with our Emerging Research podcast. On February 3rd, a train derailment upended life for the residents of rural East Palestine, about three quarters of a mile from the Pennsylvania border in Ohio. In the days following the accident, a broad collaboration between local, state, and federal agencies developed, with experts testing the air, sampling water, and assessing the effects for local residents. As part of that collaboration, Columbiana County Extension educator Haley Shoemaker from Ohio State University Extension and Dr. Jeff Hattie, professor in the School of Environment and Natural Resources in the College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences were called in to assist. And while this particular project isn't emerging research anymore, it's a great example of how trusted connections like Extension and the Ohio State University can be leveraged to provide vital research support. Welcome, Haley and Jeff. Glad to be here. Thank you. Glad to join you. Yeah, we're excited you guys are here too. And I want to jump in by saying, uh, so like when something like a train derailment happens, there are certainly regulations regarding who is called to the scene and who is involved in the environmental assessments. But who, can you tell us a little bit about who you worked with? So immediately following the derailment, our primary collaborations were with the EMA, so Emergency Management Agency here in the county. Um, and we collaborated heavily with the Ohio Department of Ag, um, obviously with the residents and our producers locally as well, helping um, to make sure that they had all the resources they needed as far as um, evacuation regulations and making sure livestock were moved if they could be um, or managed um, on site if they needed to be and couldn't be relocated. So in those early days, that was EMA ODA, um, Department of Health, and obviously our Ohio EPA and US EPA were very crucial partners as well. And when you say Department of Health, do you mean federal or is that Ohio only? That was um, mostly Ohio. And that was more so our, our other agency partners were working with the Department of Health. Our focus was on the agricultural side those first few weeks, especially. And that fell in the realm of ODA and EPA for the most part. That feels like a superpower team. Yeah, some, some heavy hitters for sure. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about why the two of you were called in to help in this collaboration? So early on, a lot of our producers locally were getting questions and um, having conversations with consumers, with end product marketers regarding the contamination status of their crops, um, specifically those that were in the ground at the time of the derailment. So think barley, rye, winter wheat, your pastures, your hay fields. And we wanted to make sure we were providing resources and services to those producers, meaning data. That's what they really needed to have concrete conversations with those folks and and be confident in the conversations they were having. You know, um, planting season was just around the corner at that point, and so was marketing season for anything that was in the ground, and a couple months later would then be marketing season for other things that would be soon to be planted. So those conversations were about to be ex- very crucial. So what we needed to get into their hands, like I said, was data and that information, and that was going to be coming from actually testing the plant tissue that was out in the, in the field. 
And if I remember correctly, the protocol was actually something that uh, the OSU team worked on. Can you take me through that protocol a little bit? Sure, you bet. So uh, one of the things that we realized quickly working with our state and federal partners is that uh, certain uh, agencies had jurisdiction over um, specific regulations. And so um, the the uh, national EPA, federal EPA, um, helped was the initial on-site and helped coordinate activities among all the partners, which would include the, the railroad as well as this, the corresponding state agencies like Ohio Department of Environment and Ohio Department of Agriculture and Ohio Department of Health, FDA was involved. And so there was a, a, a broad uh, a group of folks. In fact, they call it the Unified Command. And so all of the pertinent agencies from the state and federal levels were brought together. And one of the things that became apparent really early on is that when we look at uh, jurisdiction and when we look at regulatory statutes, there's clear regulatory statutes related to the soil, the air, and the water because of our federal clean air and clean water acts. And so those appropriate agencies at the federal and state level stepped in. And then regarding food supply, FDA at the local level, Ohio Department of Health has jurisdiction over the food supply, for humans and Ohio Department of Agriculture has jurisdiction over the uh, animal supply. But what we noticed was that there was this gap of, uh, and it was this, the exact question that our producers were receiving is, what are the levels associated with the plant material? And can any of these, can any of the um, materials released from the accident itself in the vent and burn cause problems with animal consumption or human consumption of those plant tissues. And we needed to know if those plant tissues had elevated levels of any of the elements of concern. So that's kind of a long story about how we got there. And we realized that there was this, there was this gap in the research that we needed to address by, by going into the literature. And that's one of the reasons that I really enjoy these opportunities to work with extension, because that's what we do is we look at the research and we tr figure out how can we apply this re research to answer um, questions. And some of these questions are emerging questions, just like this one at the event site. So Haley, it sounds like you were heavily involved in the sampling of the plant tissue um, in East Palestine. Can you tell us a little bit what that process was like? So as Jeff mentioned, we did utilize a EPA-approved methodology that our plant health inspectors are pretty, pretty routinely um, familiar with. So it involves going out into the field and cutting as close to the crown of the growing plant as possible. Um, we collected the actual plant tissue in Teflon line jars and put those sealed jars then in plastic bags all to prevent any cross-contamination from other samples, also to prevent anything from getting into or out of the sample. Um, the Teflon jars were specifically utilized for this sampling process um, to minimize any effects of light on the actual samples themselves. And once we were finished putting ID labels and everything on the jars, they were then pushed, put in a cooler so that they were... Um, kept at a consistent temperature and kept out of any sunlight. 
the locations themselves were selected um, prior to sampling. Obviously, we had the permission of the landowner to be out and and collecting those samples. Um, but we did have inner radius and background radius samples, all of which were taken in the same manner. So it was a busy few days out there collecting the samples, but it gave us the opportunity to have some some really good conversations with the producers that were participating in in the sampling process um, and gave us a chance to see the crops in different stages of growth as well, which I think contributed to the strength of the data. Right. So you did this at a variety of farms on a variety of crops over a period of like how much time? Correct. So the sampling took place over a period of three days and we sampled crops anywhere from uh, winter wheat to malting barley to rye and alfalfa, grass hay, and some um, just grass hay pastures. So it was being used for a variety of uses. Some of the crops were intended to be used on farm. They'd be um, harvested and utilized for livestock feed. Other crops were intended to be sold off a farm, whether it be locally or a little more regionally. And then other crops obviously were going to be consumed directly by the animal um, without any human harvesting. So the, the goal was to get crops sampled in a variety of um, stages in a, that would be used in a variety of uses. That way farms could have a pretty pretty comprehensive picture. Right. You've covered everything. Now, this might be really into the weeds, but I was just thinking when you're talking about that. So it's February and uh, are all the plants um, in a dried state? Are they actively growing? Um, Would that affect how much they would or would not absorb? Were you looking at any of that kind of information? So we knew that at the point of the derailment, just looking at weather patterns and temperature patterns locally, that our plants were still in dormancy. So they hadn't started to green up. You know, if we were a few weeks past, we might be talking a little bit differently about that. But at that point in February, we didn't have green up starting. It was still fairly consistently chilled outside. Um, So everything that we were sampling would have been in dormancy during the derailment. And I would, I would just add that um, one of the things that we were primarily concerned about, and this was because we were able to look at the, uh, look at the research in the literature, is that the primary concern was really deposition of the potential contaminants on leaf surface. Oh, sure. The, the uptake of these materials into the plants, um, especially some of the other materials that, that EPA really focused on also, which were the dioxins and the furans, those are not taken into the plant. So the real concern was that that material had been deposited on the plant tissue surface, or maybe there was contaminated soil particles that had been splashed or kicked up or somehow disturbed and had been deposited on the, on the leaf tissue itself. So that's one of the things when we look at these particular compounds that were of interest is that the pathway of plant uptake through the root system was going to be very minimal, if not non-existent. Yeah, I appreciate that distinction because you're right, there could be um, a whole new slew of problems if they were being taken up into the plant. And so you said you didn't really have any known thresholds that you were dealing with. You were really just trying to establish what kind of uh, contamination, if any, there was in the plant samples that you were taking? Yeah, that was partially why we con- 
kind of use that background inner radius setup with our right. sampling procedures. Because we didn't have existing thresholds to compare against, we wanted to look at what is the norm or the constant further out from the derailment, not mm -hmm. in the plume pattern, compared to what we see closer to the derailment and inside that plume. So that gave us some comparison values there. Based on your areas of expertise, I think this was a really neat partnership. Who else were you able to bring in from the Ohio State side to run some of the experiments or the testing, this protocol that you all put together? Yeah, we had to put together a protocol that first started with how do we collect the samples in a way that we know that this data that we collect will be defensible. And so what we realized is that there's no literature that says this is what levels may be available in the plant. So we realized that we were going to have to compare what we consider to be background samples, areas outside the where the, uh, the burn event would have occurred. And then those areas of primary concern within the uh, within the close zone of the actual burn where the primary uh, concern was, and so what we needed to do was identify what was in the in the plant tissue inside and outside of the potential contaminated area. So um, first we had to we had to identify okay well how can we collect the samples and so we worked with our partners at ODA using an EPA protocol that they use frequently for um, for herbicide evaluation. And so they have a sampling protocol. So we use that protocol as, as part of our process to collect the samples. Haley was very involved in that and she can, she can touch base on that in just a second. Then uh, we knew what the EPA method for analysis would be of the, of the compounds themselves because EPA has set methods of how you analyze for the compounds of interest, which were primarily, um, we were primarily focused on the semi-volatile organic compounds or SVOCs. And so as we begin to look at, okay, well, we have, who has that equipment uh, that can do the analysis and is, has the opportunity or has the time to uh, commit their lab resources to be able to, to address uh, uh, analyzing these samples. So we were fortunate enough that Dr. Devin Peterson's group at the Flavor Research and Education Center in the Department of Food Science and Technology had the equipment and he was willing to step up and his research group really took the, took the reins on the actual sample analysis itself. So a big part of my role was really coordinating the activities of bringing the researchers together with all of the, the folks who were going to need to be involved to be able to collect the samples, analyze them, and then return the results to the producers so that they could uh, analyze what their or understand what their situation was. That's fascinating and a very important role to play in terms of keeping all of that organized, keeping it in a space that people can understand and access. Yeah, I, I appreciate Devin's help too. I know that that crew is is great to work with. Yeah. Now that this protocol has been worked out, both in terms of how you would collect the plant tissue, but then also how you would process it, is it something that others could utilize for other needs? Without a doubt, Kim, when we look at uh, moving forward, these things, will we will uh, go ahead and, and put those out in the literature. It will be probably developed as a case study, and we're actually working on that right now with, so that we can share oh. this as a case study, because we certainly don't want to replicate it. But there <laughs> yeah, are... Good point. But, but there are... 
there are uh, other situations that are uh, that are not dissimilar from this that we uh, we see around the country. And in fact, I think that was one of the surprises that many people were caught off guard were just the number of rail uh, derailments or train accidents that occur on an annual basis. Exactly. And I, I heard from multiple people that, that how surprising that statistic was. And so just having these, but also beginning to think about, well, how do, as a team, how can we come together? Because as these materials are transported uh, nationwide, whether it's on the rail system or if it's on our highway system, the exposure to our food system uh, can can cause concerns. And we certainly want to be aware of that and cognizant of that. So, right. yeah, we and look prepared. forward to prepared. Yeah. Exactly. So we look forward to sharing this with our colleagues around the country so that they would uh, know how they can handle these situations and be ready to um, to work forward in the future. Right. Don't yeah. start from scratch, uh, you know, have something in place so you're ready. Yeah. Making something good out of a bad situation. So now that we've gone through the process and who you've worked with, can you tell us about the results? Yes, we were very fortunate, Kim, in that we what we found was that the levels of the inner radius that we were concerned about where the most pro- the highest probability for contamination would be was no different than the background samples for any of the SVOCs, yep. awesome. which was very helpful. And what we actually found was that most of the SVOCs were below detection levels. And, and um, so that was uh, what, except for one, one compound in one field that was actually from the background area. So on the inner oh. radius, on the inner radius, um, we were, we were fortunate enough that or, or for our producers, we were able to share with them that they did not have to worry about contamination of their plant materials relative to ingestion by their livestock or their customers. That's and great. so that's really, that's really important. And, and as we had, Haley and I had the opportunity to sit down and visit with some of the producers and share their results with them that we were, uh, they were very, very, um, I think very happy that they did. They were very relieved. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. They were very relieved at the results and it should be noted that Haley and I were ready to follow the results, whatever the data said, because if, if indeed there had been elevated levels, then we would have helped work with those producers to go back with EPA and Ohio uh, Department of uh, EPA, and uh, we would uh, work to make sure that those landowners um, were were made whole, working sure. with the uh, with the railroad company. So, um, we were we were ready to follow the data wherever it went. Fortunately for them, it relieved a lot of concerns from them for them that's, because they were not above background levels. Right, that's great. And all of those data are posted now at Ohio EMA's website. Um, If you just search Ohio EMA plant tissue testing, there's a one pager that has a short, succinct little paragraph or a couple paragraphs explaining what the process of collection and analyzation was. Basically, what methods do we use? And then on the back, it has a table splitting out the inner radius and background radius reporting levels. And then we also have a link to our fuller report. So if you really want to read and get into the details of what we were doing as far as process, collection, analyzation, so on and so forth, all of those are available at Ohio EMA's website. Wonderful. That's great. Yeah. I'm wondering a little bit about the economic impact on on the county, because if you have results that show that there's been no 
there's no difference between the plant samples. Uh, is that information widely available to everyone so that buyers understand that, buyers of these crops would understand that? What are you seeing? So the overall economic impact is something that we will be waiting years to mm-hmm. see what that number is. Yeah. Um, but as far as the data being available widespread and to the folks that really need it to make those decisions, it has been made available. Um, the The availability of the two documents I just mentioned, that one pager in the full report, that's publicly available to anyone. Okay. The farmer themselves, they are able to take an individualized report that they receive from us after the sampling and show that to their end product marketers, their consumers, um, people that need to see that to talk about sales and purchasing and whatnot. Okay. So they are able to give their, their, uh, you know, their contractors, their, their end product mar- marketers, that specific data for their farm. Okay. That's not something that is publicly available. That's something that they can make more public if they so choose, but that's something that's up to the landowner themselves. Okay. Yeah, certainly we, that was something going into this, that it was very important that the landowners understood that this was their data and they owned that data. Sure. And so the only, the only, the only thing we reported would have been the aggregate data. I think there's another aspect of the economic, long-term economic impact as well. And that's the community as a whole. And I think that just looking forward, that's something that Ohio State and not only researchers, but our staff at at OSU Extension, as well as within the college, will continue to work in the future with the members of the community to address some of these long-term economic concerns that really are impacting the, the entire community. Uh, not just East Palestine itself, but whole, the whole uh, area of Columbiana, and then really our our colleagues who are across the state line in Pennsylvania who are right. facing some of the very same same issues. And so this is going to be a long term impact for the area, and so we're there in the we're there over the long haul with them. That's great. That's again, that's part of the exciting aspect of extension. And dependable and local. So that, I guess, leads me to my last question, which would be, you know, what's next? What are you looking at for the future? Well, in the, in the current future, our, our goal is to continue to serve the producers and monitor and provide those resources that we need to. Sure. Um, obviously, this is, a, this is a long game type situation, so we don't have the answers of what the next month, the next six month holds. So there, you know, there, there's a lot of opportunities right now to learn from our communities and to keep serving them in the way that we have been for the last, I guess, now seven months. So our intents to stay here and to make sure we're, we're keeping doing our jobs. That's why we love extension. Right. Well, and I think that you talk a little bit about why it's important that Ohio State was involved, because as we mentioned in the beginning, you are an extension educator in the county. So, you know, the residents, you know, people in the area. Um, what what did that do for this collaboration? How did that help in the research process? 
Um, it was definitely something that strengthened the research process. We we were very fortunate to work with producers who, in many cases, we'd already had established and working relationships with. Mm-hmm. So asking them to put their trust in us was not far-fetched. Um, and that was something we did not take for granted and still don't, because um, this is obviously a kind of a trying time for all of our producers locally and our communities locally. So um, them saying, yep, we trust you. Come on out here is, is something we value. That's huge. And being able to come back to them if we have questions and knowing that they can do the same for us. That's, that's uh, something that we can't put a price on. I, and I just want to echo that. I think there's something really special when a community knows that the person working with them or the people working with them are not just dipping in and dipping out. You know, they're here because they really care about the community and they've built that lasting relationship. Um, I also want to give a shout out to another extension educator, extension professional, uh, Dee Jepson. Is she going to be involved in creating any training materials for this? Yeah, yes, she will. That actually moving forward, Dee took the lead as uh, an expert in farm safety. And so she has actually taken the lead with Haley and myself and some others who have actually secured some funding from the federal government to put together some training materials that will be available for the county level so that we can prepare other uh, other counties to to be able to act in a in a timely manner as Haley was because of the training that she had previously previously had as part of her EMA training. And so we want to not only share that with our colleagues across Ohio so we can respond to any needs that our fellow citizens of Ohio might have when we think about in our rural communities, we think about not only the number of uh, uh, rail that traverse the state versus and highways, but also the number of dealerships that are out there that have enormous amounts of agricultural chemicals on site. Any of those could have an issue at any day. And so having them prepared to be able to respond as Haley was able to, to their neighbors and support their, their, the people and the population in their County. Um, we want to be able so that they, to respond quickly so that they can uh, have that trust in us that they expect. And so we look forward to working on that. And then also, as I mentioned, sharing that with our colleagues across the nation, not just keep it to Ohio. Certainly it'll be worthwhile for everyone to be prepared. Jeff, Haley, thank you so much for sharing this experience with us because we know research isn't always planned, <laughs> but there's value in learning in this instance how you developed key protocols for this emergency. And what we're really hoping is that this helps others should they find themselves in an unanticipated situation too. So thank you. We appreciate it. Agreed. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. And thanks for joining us for another edition of KX Emerging Research. For more fresh science, visit kx.osu.edu.